Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Under center, Carson Wentz. He's going to turn, give off to Jonathan Taylor. Stood up at the one. Taylor becomes only the 13th player in the history of the National Football League to have five touchdowns in the same game. Tannehill gets the snap. Tannehill firing right sideline. Picked off. Terrence Mitchell. And Mitchell trying to move with the ball. Does across the 40-45 to the far side of the field. He's brought down at the 48-yard line. A 29-yard field goal to win the game against the 8-2 Packers right now. Ah, Michael Smith. Michael Smith. Doesn't that that montage tell you everything you need to know about the National Football League? I don't know how long that was. Maybe. No is the operative word. No is the operative word. Right. What the hell do we know? And, 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 you know, let's flip it around. If you don't know, now you don't. No, no, no. If you don't know, you still don't know. Because uh, the NFL is just... Hey, just throw it all up in the air. See where it lands. You have no idea what's going to happen from week to week. But before we get into the details, before we get into the nitty gritty of the NFL, Mike, I'm going to tell you like a revelation I had yesterday. Uh, I'm sitting there watching it. I'm watching uh, Jonathan Taylor do his thing. uh, Not one, but five touchdowns for the Indianapolis Colts. Watching the uh, Tennessee Titans lose. uh, The Buffalo Bills get smoked uh, by Taylor's Colts. And it just really occurred to me as I'm as I'm watching Scott Hansen. Now we go to a four box. We have four red zone opportunities here as I'm watching all that stuff. It just occurred to me, man, I'm having fun. I'm just having fun watching the NFL and I, I'm usually a person who goes for the favorite. I like the favorite. I like uh, some type of certainty, some type of definition. The fact that we don't have it this year is actually kind of cool. I don't know, man. Like, I still think, Mike, I still think the Titans are the best team in the AFC. I, I stand by that despite the loss to Tennessee. I still believe in the Titans. But if they don't, I'm all right with that. And also, they're the best by what? A smidge, a scotch, a smidgen, a hair. A half inch, whatever, whatever phrase you or word you want to use. It's not like the Titans or the leading team in the AFC, even if you don't think it's the Titans. It's not like the team that you think is the, is the number one uh, team is that far ahead of anybody else. I'm enjoying it. And then as an aside, let me tell you. Back to Jonathan Taylor. You can say that the running back position has gone down a little bit, but there is nothing in football. You think about it from a fan standpoint. There is nothing in football more frustrating than watching another running back 
just run all over your team and your team can't do anything about it. They know you know that guy's getting the ball. You know they're going to him and you can't. There's nothing in football. I'm telling you, it's not offsides. It's not your quarterback throwing interceptions in the red zone. It is being run on. And when you run on consistently, it is the most demoralizing on the field and off the field. This is where fans and those who play the game are in perfect alignment. Because I, I can't think of a more frustrating thing of football. Just letting somebody just have their way with you. Even more frustrating than an earpiece that suddenly won't stay in. Anyway, what's in your mind? <laughs> do you have it in the right ear? Yeah. Oh, oh don't do that. <laughs> no, no, I'm asking. No, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. Is it it's in the right ear? It's in okay. The, I don't know. It's in, how, how about this? How about this? Both. It's in the correct ear and it's in the right ear, which is where it always okay. is. The right side. Okay. I'm frustrated so for you. I'm, a, I'm maybe frustrated my ears for you. Got, maybe my ears got smaller, which is really tough to believe because they're already small. Or it could be your wire could be pulling it to where it's not staying in because it's too far opposite yeah, yeah, maybe. Your, your neck. So, maybe it, I, I, and you're buttoning your shirt. Did you, just get, did you just get dressed? Are you buttoning your, your sleeves yeah, down did. too? Did you just yeah, get dressed? Like, dressed. did you not know you had a show about, today? Like, did you not yeah, know that is, about, we did a show at 3 o'clock? I took a shower a little later than I usually take a shower. If you, if you, was if it a long shower? No. If you, if, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I got to know. I got if to you know. Must I know. got to know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got <laughs> Mr. Wilkins drive. I got the flu, <laughs> and I'm driving him to Greenville. Like, what, like, uh, yeah. That's, I got to know what's up. No. Yeah, I got to know. Well, so won't you, you want to take a second to get your stuff together? You want to get, yeah, you want to get situated? You. Cause, I, cause I honestly, I. Honestly, no, the, you can't. I no, can't walk don't flatter yourself. Gum, but I can button. No, listen. you can't. No, you're yes, not a good multitasker. No, let me tell you something. And then you won't hear it. And then you won't hear it later. No, but honestly, though, you being discombobulated right now is a microcosm for this NFL season. And all of us who try to observe and analyze it, we just we, we don't know which way is up right now. We don't know what we're doing. We just we're, just, we're, we're all fumbling. We're all fiddling. We're all trying to figure it out halfway through. Okay, um, go ahead and get your stuff. Go ahead, and get, go ahead and fix your earpiece. Fix your, fix your, no, get I'm yourself listening. situated. I'm don't worry. You. We're ahead. just doing doing some approximation of live television. Don't worry about it. Or honestly, just be like me. See, the problem is no, you're not. It's still sticking out. The problem is you all right. are all dressed up, looking all professional and whatnot. Just be like me. It look like you just rolled out of bed. See, you're putting too much effort into it. Just be like me. <laughs> like I don't need, I, I, for all you know, I might have slept in this. For you don't know, do you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got you wouldn't tie a tie, you know, don't got a shirt know. and whatnot. You don't know. Don't want to know. Anyway, I don't want to know. That's all right. Keep that to yourself. Keep that to yourself. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, the best team in the AFC didn't play this weekend, um, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor. All right, that's a tease. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor for a second. Um. An MVP hasn't won as a running back hasn't won MVP since Adrian Peterson in 12. Uh, he's the first player since Adrian Peterson to notch at least a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns in his first two seasons. Um, and he joined LaDainian Tomlinson, who was a 2006 league MVP, as the only players with eight consecutive games with 100 plus yards from scrimmage and a rushing touchdown in a single season. He and LaDainian Thomason, who won the 06 MVP, 
as the only players with eight consecutive games with 100 plus yards from scrimmage and a rushing touchdown. Um, yesterday was his career high in carries, 32. Uh, the week before was his career high with 21. So maybe Frank Reich was just kind of pacing him or, or saving him to get to this point. Um, Ooh. He was incredible yesterday with 185 yards rushing. But it was really who he did it against. Michael, this was not this was not somebody feasting on the Lions. This wasn't somebody yeah, this is my favorite one putting right in work. This was oh. against the number one ranked defense in DVOA and the third ranked DVOA rushing defense. Or if you're anti-analytics, bottom line is Buffalo was third in rushing yards allowed per game and yards per carry going into this week. And Jonathan Taylor just made fools of him. So yes, he did. He ran himself into the MVP race, uh, an award that's traditionally a quarterback's award to lose. And Michael, I, I can't find a reason not to put him at the forefront of the race when all the quarterbacks uh, who would be in the MVP conversation have either put up clunkers, uh, their teams are, are struggling, they're struggling individually. I mean, think about the usual suspects. I mean, Kyler Murray's been hurt and his team's been winning right. without him. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers has been, he would, he would probably be your, your MVP front runner. You got the narrative of what they looked like when Aaron, uh, when he was out and Jordan Love played against Kansas City. He was brilliant yesterday, but the Vikings won. So Aaron Rodgers would probably stand as your number one quarterback contender. Maybe it's Tom Brady, uh, whose stats for the entire season have been pretty good. Although the Bucks have been struggling lately, he gets the Giants tonight in prime time. That might put him right back at the top of the list. Uh, I don't think Dak is in it at this point. Obviously, still a lot of time. Wait, I don't think Dak. Josh wait. Allen's not in it. Okay. Lamar going. Jackson. I mean, so uh, if, if if not if not Jonathan Taylor, who am I missing? Did you say Patrick Mahomes? Anybody? Patrick Mahomes. I, 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 last I don't week, know that. Mahomes isn't in it. Mahomes isn't in it. Mahomes not not? In, is not an MVP. Ooh, look at those numbers. Look at, oh, look, look at again. What? What is turnovers? Again. Sure, I look at it. I look at his okay. turnovers. Sure. So look at his turnovers. Look, okay, and, look, and, and look at the full. Look at the full picture. Look at the full picture of Patrick I, Mahomes. Yeah. And tell me, just this last week, this time last week, we're talking about Patrick. He Mahomes had four. He had a great game five. last week. We're for, doing the same a, thing. For a season-long award. We're doing the same thing to Jonathan Taylor today that we did to Patrick Mahomes last week. Same situation. Patrick Mahomes had five touchdowns last week. We're hyping up Patrick Mahomes. This uh, this week, Jonathan Taylor has five touchdowns, and we're like, "Hey, he's an MVP." Same thing. Pat, no. And Patrick Mahomes' I, season okay, numbers. I, his I, season I, numbers I, I, are fix, terrific. Fix, fix, fix your IFB. Fix your IFB. Patrick Mahomes could still win MVP. I'm saying right now there is no quarterback who is the runaway, legitimate, like MVP leader right now because either they've struggled. They've missed games or their teams are struggling. So that's why Jonathan Taylor. I can't think of a quarterback that I would put ahead of Jonathan Taylor right now. That's not to say Patrick Mahomes can't still win it, but overall this season, he's been far too up and down, especially by his standards and it's turned the ball over far too much last week, notwithstanding to say, oh, Patrick Mahomes is your MVP leader right now. So Jonathan Taylor has numbers? a chance to do with running backs. You just said him like you knew him off the top of your head. 
I, I do. <laughs> about I'm saying, I, I do know. Him. I do know. Him. I do know. Him. I'm just saying. I just want you, you to ask say me. him and then continue. Okay. I want you to say him and then continue uh, with, with your harangue uh, against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Look, right now, what are they? Seven and four now. They're seven and four. I told you after that loss to Tennessee, they got beat down by Tennessee. Patrick Mahomes leads the league in passing. He leads the league in passing yardage at 3,200. Okay. He's got he's got 25 yeah. touchdowns and 11 picks. He's got a QBR of 57.3 if you're into such things, and uh-huh. a rating of 94.7. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can, I, I, let me find the fumbles. Oh, fumbles. Uh, he's got four lost fumbles, I believe. So that gives him about. I think he has 15 turnovers on the year. I'll confirm that for you. Yeah. So yeah. he's giving the ball away far too much to be taking the MVP award and running with it is my only point. There's still plenty of time left, but we were talking about Jonathan Taylor who the way he's been running the ball lately and that game yesterday on the road against Buffalo puts him at the forefront of the MVP conversation mostly because there's not a quarterback who is a hands down leader right now. And I'll tell you what I tell you not, not maybe Rogers. Maybe Rogers. This is why he's not at the forefront. This is why it's going to be difficult for him to do it. And I loved, I loved watching him yesterday. And I had a thought as I was looking at the, uh, all those those highlights, the summary of his five touchdown day. And that's the one I said was my favorite. That wasn't the one. It was the one right after a little short run where he made like four guys miss and then uh, gave a nice little stiff arm, a little courtesy stiff arm on the way into the end zone. Just great. But the reason he's going to have a, a difficult time being the just legitimate front runner is that the NFL MVP often follows the patterns of other sports MVPs. If your team is not in first place, you got to do something extraordinary to get the attention. I mean, like one year, Alex Rodriguez won in baseball. His team was in last place, but he had an unbelievable season, so he's able to do it. But for the most part, if you are like if the Colts finish nine and eight or 10 and seven and Tennessee finishes 13 and four or 12 and five. Okay. It's going to be hard for the MVP to, you know, overcome. Hey, you were a wild card team. You had a right. So you got running back against you. You got wild card team against you mm-hmm. and they probably are going to be a wild card team just because they've already uh, lost the season series to Tennessee. So they lose out on tiebreaker. Well, I think that's well, what, well, I think we'll get to Tennessee. Well, all right. So when uh, when the Vikings when Peterson won it in 2012, the Vikings were 10 and six and in second place. I think you got to have a uh, you got to be one of the the conference leaders if you're a quarterback. Yeah. If if it's not a quarterback, if you're running back 2,000 yards typically gets it. Right now he's not on pace for 2,000 yards, but that's not to suggest that he can't threaten it. Um, And if he carries them into the postseason picture, he'll have the narrative on his side. But if you don't mind, I'd like to broaden it out a little bit and look at that postseason picture and talk about two teams that lost yesterday, if I may. Uh, one is okay. Buffalo, who I remember asking you uh, is who have they beaten? Because they beat a struggling Kansas City team. I, I believe that's the only win that they have this year against a team with a winning record. Um, Buffalo. They are among the most penalized okay. teams in the league. They don't run the ball especially well. And former MVP candidate Josh Allen is struggling when it comes to to his decision making. So they got issues. uh, Buffalo does. 
But then I'll go back to something you said a moment ago. Tennessee, who we both liked, especially after they made that they had that statement win in primetime against the Rams. But I remember telling you, Michael, I remember saying, I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if they're the best team or they're just winning. They're just finding ways to win. And don't get me wrong, there's a talent in finding ways to win. They're a tough team, but at a certain point playing, I don't know what the number is now, but it was 80-something guys they played this year. All right, I don't know what it's up to at this point. But playing all the guys that they played already, losing Derrick Henry, who is the best running back in the league when he's playing, and averaging... Yeah. Prior to yesterday, I, I told you they were averaging two and a half yards a carry. They weren't running the ball very well. And you were like, oh, no, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're the best team in the AFC. And a minute ago, you said you still feel that way. Yes. Why? Yes, I do. Yes, I, yes, I do. Look, I could, because I'm not, uh, not going to get caught up in losing to a bad team. Now, keep in mind, they've lost to two bad teams this year. They've lost to arguably the two worst teams in the AFC. They lost to the Jets in overtime. Mm-hmm. And then they lost to the Texans at the crib, but there's that, that's not just because you lose to bad teams doesn't mean that you are not a good team and doesn't mean uh, you can't win no. a championship a team a team that you covered uh, the 2000 I think the last team that you covered the 2004 Patriots you covered the 04 Patriots or you were or, or 03 uh, but the 04 Patriots 14 and 2 back to back 14 and 2 seasons you know I remember them losing a Monday night game to a bad Dolphins team it happens. And so, especially a team in your division, it's hard for even great teams to sweep their division. I just like what Tennessee represents from top to bottom, and that didn't change yesterday. What really changed for the Texans, and they might have a win or two more. I'm not going crazy here, but they might have one or two more wins if they had if they'd had Tyrod Taylor all season long. You know, their season changed. Tyrod Taylor starts off at the beginning of the season. Houston was competitive. They had Taylor then. They still had Mark Ingram. They still felt like they were the little engine that could. And then Taylor gets hurt. Ingram gets traded. Lots of things happen. They get uh, a, a little discouraged by Deshaun Watson situation. Everything happened, and they just tanked. But if Tyrod Taylor had been there all season, we're not talking about an automatic, easy, this is a joke franchise kind of win. So I'm, I'm all right with Tennessee. They had a six-game winning streak. They've done a lot of. They put a lot of good things on tape already for me to know who they are. I don't. I don't question. Well, there's one guy who they are. Uh, no, but the they. We got to focus on the they, Michael. And I, and I. I'm a fan of how the Titans do things. I'm a fan of that organization. I'm a fan of the way they play. But they are missing. If Derrick Henry's still playing, he might be at the forefront of the, of, of the MVP conversation. Now he may come back before it's all said and done. But he's not playing. And they're a different offense without him. They're a different. I don't know why they don't give Deontay Foreman the ball more, but nonetheless, they insist on this committee approach with Adrian Peterson. And they're not running the ball with the same level of effectiveness. Nowhere near the same level of effectiveness. In fact, they're awful at running the ball. And therefore, Ryan Tannehill is having to carry uh, a disproportionate load on offense than he's accustomed to. And I'm not talking about everybody has off days. Michael, no, nowhere this season at no point in the season was it any more evident than this week when we had four first place teams lose Buffalo, Tennessee, Dallas and Green Bay and over the past three weeks we've had division leading teams losing 11 games 
two opponents who did not have a winning record over the past three weeks. We've had 11 losses by division leading teams to losing teams. So that old phrase that you and I both well both know well the other guys get paid too. So I don't know if there are upsets or surprises as much in the NFL as we like to think they are. You said off the top that this season more than ever we don't have a handle on it. Maybe we never really had a handle on it. You just pointed out 04, the 14 and 2 Patriots losing the Monday night on Monday night football to the Dolphins. Maybe we have less of a handle on it than usual. But I don't know if any at this point if we should be surprised by anybody beating anybody else in a league full of professional right. football players who get paid whose jobs are on the line every Sunday. It's not any given Sunday. It's every given Sunday. This is what this sport has always been for the most part. Having said that the point I just want to make on Tennessee is it's not that I'm overreacting to them losing to a competitive Texans team and even if even in their losses more often than not they've shown some fight. I'm not even right, talking always. about the, the law. I'm talking about the warning signs that we've seen for several weeks from Tennessee that made me wonder before yesterday whether or not their winning streak was based on something that's sustainable or they were just surviving really like far be really it like far what? be it from me like what warning signs like what, what are you talking about I just told you they, what? They, they were averaging that, two yards a carry coming into the game coming into this week coming into this last week's so game so what it's a passing so what league. is it so it's a passing league it's a passing league so what so, so what, what is it least to Ryan Tannehill having to carry the offense and throwing four interceptions which he's never done in Tennessee. I don't know if he, I don't know if he ever threw more right. than two in Tennessee, but they're not. They don't have the same identity without Derrick Henry. That's a warning sign. And they weren't. And they didn't blow the. They weren't beating the brakes. They didn't beat the brakes off the Saints the week before. So they they were on a winning streak, but they were winning close games. And, and hey, style points don't matter in this league. It's a skill. But to say it's that they're the best team gift. in the AFC, they're number one right now. But so the best team saying? in the AFC. Mm, not sure who, who who is you said the best team in AFC didn't play yesterday. You you want to talk about that a little later or you want to well, get into yeah, that? We'll get now? to it later. We'll get to it later. Let's take let's okay. take a, let's take All a break right. and uh, and recalibrate. We'll get to that a little bit. We'll get to that a little That's bit a later. big statement. Yeah, that's a big statement you made for whatever that's it's worth big. For what it, it has as, oh. it has as much legitimacy don't, as don't undermine as, your no, own it, point before you even make it. <laughs> no, I know how to make points. It has as much it has as much legitimacy as you saying the Titans. Are the best team right now. In other words, it could What's change. It? Hell, Let we'll find out, won't we? Here's another tease. Let me just ask you this. We'll find Listen, out. I, I, we'll I, find I, out this I week. Take, I want to take opinions out of it. What do the standings say? What do the standings say? I'm just wondering. You tell me. What are the standings? We go. I, I, you don't like when I go to the numbers. What do the numbers say? Analytics champion. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah, well, they turned the ball over against uh, the Texans, which is hard to count on. That's not what they do, so I don't think we'll get that. Uh, I would say Mike team. You know, they're tough, they're physical, they make you beat them, they don't make many mistakes. Uh, they know what they're doing, they're sound, they're a good fundamental team, they tackle well. Um, the backs and receivers run hard with the ball. Um, quarterback's athletic. Um, so, sound in the kicking game. Um, you know, we're going to have to play a good football game in all three phases. 
Man, what he's basically saying, as you know, is that when he looks at the Titans, he's looking in the mirror. Uh, by yeah. design, since yep. since the Titans yep. have pretty much been New England South for for you know since uh, John Robinson and Mike Vrabel uh, took over. Um, so just to pick up on our AFC chaos conversation, I feel good as good as you can be in this in this league for whatever it's worth through 11 games saying that the Patriots are the best team, not just in the AFC East where they reside in first place. I know we all had that, that they'd be back in first place by Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, not only are the t- Patriots the best team in the AFC East, I go so far as to call them the best team in the AFC right now. Now, that wow. doesn't get you any trophies. Wow. doesn't get you any T-shirts. But the reason I call them the best team in the AFC is because they know who they are and they can be counted on to be who they are consistently. Okay. Now, if you like numbers... I'll throw a number at you. Um, they, if you're and in a point some, differential, a lot of people, too. a lot of people think point differential is a is a pretty good barometer and pretty good measurement of of in baseball. quality. No, it, it works in all baseball. Sports. It, it, no, no, all sports. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Well, anyway, go ahead. Uh, they are plus 123. Uh, that's the best in the AFC, best in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. Let me double check that. Let me double check my math here. Yes, best in the yeah. AF, in, in the NFL. They've outscored their opponents by 123 points so far. Uh, they've given up 16 points a game on defense. They have the best defense in the conference. They have the best, with apologies to Jonathan Taylor, they have one of the best running games in the conference. And while their quarterback may be, um, may not be flashy, may not be sexy, uh, as I said to you last week, he's the quarterback equivalent of what Chris Carr was in Philadelphia before Buddy Ryan cut him and infamously said all he does is catch touchdowns. All Mac Jones does is complete passes. Uh, out routes, screens, checkdowns, crossing routes, whatever you want, but he completes a bunch of them, 70% worth. Um, and they got a, a great kicking game as well. And, they, and as, you, as you well know, they start to play their best football traditionally around this time of year and beyond. They're built for the winter. They're built for the playoffs, and they're trending toward that right. direction. So, again, on, on paper, I'm not talking about numbers, I'm talking about talent. On paper, man, you know, position by position, you know, man to man, player to player, they may not be the sexiest team, but I would go so far as to say they're the most substantive and most important for purposes of this conversation and this wacky NFL season, they seem to be the most consistent. And they happen to be peaking at the right time. So right now, for my money, New England is the best team in the AFC. Right now. All right. Okay. Uh, we can talk about where it's going to end up, but right now. Yeah. All right. So so I told you last week that I you know I had a hard time uh, with the Patriots. I'm very close to the Patriots. I I. I I'd say conservatively that uh, there's not a team in the NFL that I know better on the field, behind the scenes, history. There's not a team I know better than the New England Patriots. That could be a positive sometimes, and sometimes that could be a blind spot. So I told you last week that I feel like it's a bit of a blind spot because I have a hard time saying the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. You make a compelling case. For them being that, I know too much about them. I've seen them too close to kind of just go all the way there. You may be right, but I, I'm not ready to go there yet. Uh, now, let's talk about your, your argument point by point. Speaking of points, 
point differential. Um, they shut out the Falcons last week on Thursday, 25 nothing. They beat the Jets um, like that dude down the street who, told you, who, who stole your lunch money. All right, so 54 beat them like they stole something. Yeah, they really did. 54 to 13, something like that. So they oh, haven't yeah. beaten anybody is what you're getting at. I, but, I know where you're going with this. They haven't beaten anybody. But, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I'm using your argument because you said mm -hmm. it. You said it. You said it. Mm -hmm. About Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Hey, Buffalo only beat one team that with a yep. winning record. That was the struggling Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, the Patriots beat Carolina, losing record. Jets twice, mm -hmm. bad team. Houston, mm -hmm. Atlanta. And they beat mm -hmm. the Chargers, winning record. And they beat the Cleveland Browns. So they've, you know, Buffalo beat one team with a winning record. The Patriots have beaten two. They're seven and four. Um, okay. They really, they really, what, what their identity has been, and it's the opposite of Tennessee. You said they are a reflection of Tennessee. Yeah, except Tennessee is able to do something that New England still has to prove. And if I'm picking today, I know the game's not today, but if I had to pick today, I'd pick Tennessee to beat New England, and I'd pick them something like, 21 to 19, 25 to 23. Where am I going with that? The Patriots have, uh, they have uh, a propensity to get close to teams, good teams, and then lose. Whereas Tennessee plays close games and wins them. Baltimore plays close games and wins them. New England plays close games and loses them. Lost to Tampa Bay by a couple of points. And they do stupid stuff that cost themselves victories. They do stupid stuff. Um, uh, they lost to Dallas in overtime. Stupid stuff. Should have won the game. Gave up like on third and 25 during some dumb defense. They give up 24 yards on third and 25 and, and allows Dallas to win that game. So if I'm picking New England, I say New England has the ability to destroy bad teams. Well, but against okay. good teams, against good teams, they haven't proven themselves yet. We'll so see. so let's 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 make a let's let's go ahead and make a um, let's make a commitment to each other. Let's make a commitment to each other. Because I think what's and this doesn't make for awesome viewing or listening, but I, I think if we if we fall in the trap of trying to make some proclamation eleven weeks in, in under the guise of a, of a hot take. Then we're going to fall. We're going to fall in a truck. We're going to ride this roller coaster. So going back to how, where we started, establishing the fact that we don't know anything definitively. It's a week-to-week -week league this year more than ever. I hear everything you said. I, I hear you loud and clear, and I understand your skepticism. But what I would say is, there is something to be said for a team that does what it's supposed to do against whom it is supposed to do it. So, because if, if you want to talk about how the Patriots have only beaten up on bad teams, we can go back to the Titans losing to the Texans. No matter how good or bad you think they are or should have right. been or right. not with Terod Taylor. The, the, the Patriots, and, and I think they're a vastly improved team, specifically with the quarterback, the rookie quarterback, than they were when they were losing to Dallas and Tampa by the skin of their teeth late in the game. Because I bet you Tampa right now, would, or Dallas for that matter, would trade for New England's consistency. So I, I maybe let me put it another way. Right now, I trust okay. New England. I trust them to be who they are trust. consistently more than I trust just about anybody Tennessee. else in the AFC. Anybody. Yeah. 
That's that's what I would say. Just about, and, and we'll find out. We'll find out this week. We can both. One of us is going to end up flip flopping after Sunday, unless it's a tie. Flip flopping once they meet with the Tennessee Titans. And no, I don't expect yeah. Ryan Tannehill to throw four interceptions again. But I like the Patriots, given their balance on offense and given their defense. I like the Patriots in that game. But we got plenty of time to talk about it. The one team that gives me pause, and I'll pass it to you here. The one team that does give me pause is the team that you have been touting despite my skepticism about who they had beaten prior to yesterday was Kansas City. I feel yeah. like it might have been was it the green which which game was it was the was it the Green Bay game the one where yeah. you were like they're back. They're, they're back. back. I'm like they're how back. you gonna say they're, they're back. Was, was it the Green Bay they're game? Back. Was it that was it that game? Yes. Yes, because I was like, "How you gonna say they're back when they beat an Aaron Rodgers?" Was it, it was before that game, or after that, or after before that? Before the game, because because they had oh, it was come off Green a Bay. twenty, yeah, because they had come off a twenty-seven to three beatdown to Tennessee. Tennessee beat them. Yep. And yep. I said, "Okay, that's the lowest. That's the lowest they're right. gonna go. You should have caught them right here because now they're going the other way. They're about to go on a run. And look, their their, their win over Green Bay was really not that impressive." But they were I thought that was yeah. Saying, I thought that was the one. I thought that was the one yeah. that that, you, that afterwards you said no. They're back now. They fi- they figured it. They 13, figured it out. Yeah. And then they 13, beat the Giants, who so I didn't give them credit for. Yeah. They beat the Raiders, who so I didn't give yeah. them much credit for. Um. But what's interesting not, about not them? Cowboys. What no yeah. right? And what nobody saw coming is Kansas City being a defensive team. Now I'm not about to sit up here and take anything away from them because of who was taken away from Dallas's lineup. Tyron Smith, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. I know Ezekiel is compromised. Still, it is what it is. You play who you play. And everybody can make excuses if they want to make them. And what I love about Kansas City is they found an identity themselves that we didn't know they had in them, which was that of a defense. Hell, we didn't know they had it in them a few weeks ago. But when Chris Jones out here getting three and a half, four sacks, and they're holding Dallas out of the end zone, look at that, allowing 12 points, during this winning streak, like I said at the top, as the old saying goes, the other people get paid too. So yeah. Kansas City, if you wanted to say now, I argued you down on Tennessee. If you wanted to say it's Kansas City right now, given what they're doing on defense and what they're capable of doing on offense, that I'd have a much tougher time arguing with. All right. Well, you argued against me, but I'm still staying on the wall with Tennessee. I'm not moving. I'm going to stand there and say it's Tennessee. And I've said this before, uh, and, and Tennessee and Kansas City, that's why these teams are going to meet in the AFC Championship game right here. Here's your AFC Championship game. Kansas City Chiefs, Tennessee Titans, be there. It's going to be a great game. I don't know who's going to win it, but I know uh, one of these teams is going to L.A. in a stadium that is not a dome. All right, Mike, I've said this before about professional sports. I love 500 things. If that... It, at least 500 things about professional athletes and professional sports. One of the things I love about professional athletes that's different than, say, your neighbors, okay? Your neighbors, they are who they are. So if you take something away from your neighbors that they're used to doing, they will complain about it, uh, and then they'll move on. They may not adjust that well. So whatever that deficiency is, that deficiency is going to stay. They'll try to do something else. But the great thing about professional athletes and great coaches is that say, okay, you take something away from us. You tell us we can't do something. 
We may struggle for a little bit, but we're not going to give up on it. We'll figure it out. If you come back in a month, you'll see how we've adjusted. And so that's what I mean about Tennessee. You keep saying, hey, they can't run the ball. They don't have Derrick Henry. Right now, it doesn't look good. I guarantee you, before the season is over, maybe before the week is over, they will have figured out some type of running game that's going to be better than two yards a carry. And it may be against the New England Patriots because that's what tough-minded, creative, smart coaches and players do. Kansas City, same thing. Oh, you ain't the same. I don't know what happened to Kansas City. Their defense is not as good as it is. You've got a Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid. You've got a really good defensive coordinator who has won championships as a D coordinator and Steve Spagnuolo. They go figure it out. And so that's why I am high on Kansas City. I'm high on Tennessee. It is. You got to have faith. You, you can't see it right now, Mike. You can't see it, but it's there. You'll see it. I'm telling you. Watch out. Okay. Hey. If it, if it ends up being the usual suspects and they just took the long road to get there, you know but what? The difference We've seen is, it before. We've seen it before. The game, the championship game, will be in Nashville, not Kansas City. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in Nashville. Can Kansas City go I on know, the road? They've never been asked to go on the road and win a championship. Can I they know do it that? was. Uh, I know it was two and a half yards of carry, just for accuracy's sake. It was two and a half yards of carry going into the Texans loss for Tennessee. Um, they were, you know, nobody carried the ball over 10 times for them. But uh, Peterson had 40 yards. Hilliard had 35. Foreman had 25. You know, it right just, there. it's not the same group. It's not the same group. Not, they don't have to, they don't, they don't hit as hard. They're tough, but they don't hit as hard. And that's all I was saying before. That, that they, they might have been winning, but they're flawed. But who isn't right now, right? That's all. All we know is that everybody's flawed. Yes. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Under center, Carson Wentz. He's going to turn, give off to Jonathan Taylor. Stood up at the one. Falls forward. There's five of them. Number five, Jonathan Taylor has failed the end zone five times in the game. Jonathan Taylor becomes only the 13th player in the history of the National Football League to have five touchdowns in the same game. Tannehill gets the snap. Tannehill firing right sideline. Picked off Terrence Mitchell. And Mitchell trying to move with the ball. Does across the 40-45 to the far side of the field. He's brought down at the 48-yard line. A 29-yard field goal to win the game against the 8-2 Packers. Right ash. Snap. Charles, I am so glad you're here to bring some sense to this show to make the NFL make sense as only you can because more often than more so than usual so far, 
Michael and I have been all over the place, which is pretty representative of the state of the National Football League, is it not? Um, so let's start uh, with arguably the story of yesterday or the individual story from yesterday, which is Jonathan Taylor's five touchdown performance wow. uh, against Buffalo. Um, it's probably pointless, but fun nonetheless. At this point, would he be your MVP front runner? And if not, who is? Um, I think he. I think he's right there. You know, I think uh, if you go back to last season, I think it rounded into a conversation about Derrick Henry, Pat Mahomes, and and Aaron Rodgers. And I think down the stretch, Rodgers was able to separate himself. But to me, probably the next best candidate realistically throughout the course of that season was was Derrick Henry. I think the problem with voting for MVP is that we're all, as MVP voters, you're kind of given your own ability to shape what that means to you. And to me, I, I don't look at it just as who's the most valuable player where if you remove them off the team, you know, it would, it would essentially decimate the team. I, to me, I'm like, who is the most valuable player in the league right now playing at the highest level? Um, and there, there obviously is a tie-in with their team. And I, I think that Jonathan Taylor right now is absolutely, um, if not at the top of that conversation, he's right there. I think Tom Brady is still there. Now, I know Tom Brady has had some imperfect moments this season. Um, you know, I think Rodgers, um, over the long yeah. run, will, will be in that conversation. But it is, it is a very wide open, much like we're sitting here going, hey, who's the favorites out there? It is a very wide open field for MVP this year. And I think that you're going to see, I'd be surprised unless something happens to Taylor, if he does not get some MVP votes and gets very strong consideration. I do, by the way, what I really like about him um, yeah. reminds me of what I really liked about Derrick Henry in that he has given the Indianapolis Colts an identity the same way Derrick Henry gave the Tennessee Titans offense identity. They are now a very good defensive run dominant power team that will beat you up and they don't have to put too much on Carson Wentz. And I think that's the best way for the Colts to function moving forward. So they, uh, they beat up on Buffalo. Um, we should cease being surprised at this point by anything that happens in the NFL, especially this right. season. So I'll, right. I'll rephrase it this way. I want to ask you what was the most surprising because you've seen too much to be surprised at this point. I'll say what was the most notable or if you will eye opening outcome uh, from yesterday's games. Well, I can tell you what was the most, you know, it was notable to me and it was annoying to me because I, I had gotten onto the Tennessee bandwagon. They had won me over and, and I had actually Will Blackman um, was on our podcast on yeah, Wednesday. It's my guy. And yeah. And I told Will, I said, you know, as we're sort of parsing out who the, um, who we think the best teams are, I, I, we both kind of cast our lot with Tennessee. We liked Tennessee. I liked what Tennessee was doing defensively. But I think it was before Bud Dupree was headed to IR, which, uh, you know, I knew was going to be problematic. Obviously, Julio's on IR. They're banged up. But to me, um, I felt like their identity had a lot to do with Mike Brabel being prepared. And, and I told Will on the show, I told Will, you know what I really like about them? They have the Texans on the schedule twice. <laughs> I don't like this. I'm like, well, I, maybe I don't like that so much anymore because the Texans just straight up dominated them in that game. And um, to me, it's if if you're going to be a turnover prone team, um, it, it's can't turn the ball over five times in any game. 
and and it wasn't close. Like the Texans handed them their lunch. And so to me, that was a little bit of a surprise. Not that I think Tennessee's at full strength, but they're strong enough now to, they should be able, even with injuries, to beat um, the Houston Texans. And all credit to Tyrod Taylor. I do think he changes the dynamic for Houston a little bit um, yep. at the quarterback position. He's He is a very solid veteran who can give a team some hope, but that was a stunner to me. Yeah, he, he's, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a, a starting quarterback that nobody is ever satisfied with as a starter, but is very competent. Like if you look at his record and look at his numbers, it's always good. He's a good right. starting quarterback who has been relegated to a backup role for just various reasons. But I, I, I want to talk about Tennessee in a second. Let's go back to the Colts and Jonathan Taylor. I, I want to go back origin story a little bit with Jonathan Taylor. Second round pick. Colts get him. Was this the vision? Is it? it did he kind of grow into something? <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> did he grow into something that they didn't expect? Uh, where, where did he come from? Essentially, yeah. Ball, where did no, this? ball security issues. Didn't he have ball security issues? Coming yeah, out of fumbling. Where He's did a, this yeah, come from? Yeah. He was he was a fumbler. But let, let's remember when he was at Wisconsin. I think he had six thousand yards rushing in like in like three it seasons. Crazy. It was kind. Of, I mean, yeah. it was like. I mean, this is yeah. who he is. And and I listen. I went. I went to Michigan State. Okay, I was there when Ron Dane was beating the brakes huh. off of. Don't Nick admit Saban, that. Okay? Don't admit that publicly. And, yeah, I know. I listen. I know. I know. <laughs> no. But you know what? Hey, listen. Don't I tell was, anybody. We're talking pro football. <laughs> we're talking I NFL football in this segment. Listen. listen. <laughs> I was I was in on I was in on Mel Tucker last week. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in on him this week. I'm in the I'm in the stock market. I know how it is to be at the lowest of lows. You just gotta hang on. Um, but look, I, listen. I, I remember, but this is Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin produces as produced, you know, heavy carry running backs. And I, I always go back and I think about Ron Dane. And but this is Taylor is what he is now is what people envisioned it was just he had ball security issues he had fumbling issues he had fumbling issues when he got into the nfl um and he's cleaned that up now uh, you know so to me it's it's the idea that you you there was never an idea that you couldn't streamline um an offense through him and if if that colt's offensive line were to be fully healthy that is what you would want to do you would want to have a heavy carry dominant running back running behind quentin nelson who obviously we know is banged up right now but the point was when he was drafted, it was, hey, we got a line to do this right now. We can have a guy that is, it can be a consistent 15, 1600 yard running back for us. Well, it turns out he could be a 2000 yard running back for you as long as that can last. But I also think again, and going back to Wentz, some of this is also necessitated by Wentz. I, Wentz is not going to be a quarterback who you want to roll out there and say, throw it 40 times a game. Because if you do that, he's gonna throw seven or eight that are really iffy. He's going to make some really iffy decisions and you're going to turn the ball over. I think, you know, they've they've come to realize Carson Wentz is what he is. He can be a, an adequate quarterback for us, but he has to be he has to be um, supported by a very strong running game and then a defense, which by the way, the defense has talent on it. We knew that. We knew that coming into the season they had talent. Um, so I don't think there's any question in my mind that there was some design to this, that we can be a defensive team and a ball-dominant running team. So I asked you about Jonathan Taylor, you know, what this is, where did this come from? How about the Colts? Uh, you already mentioned it. Now they're back to 500. They're playing good football. They blow out Buffalo at home. 
What's their ceiling? Are we talking about a team that can really do some damage in the playoffs or is it hey, they can get get into the wild card like they did last year and then uh, then they'll probably fizzle. Well, I, look, I, I don't think it's going to be difficult for them to win the division, okay, to catch. I mean, because, you know, look, Tennessee, I think, has the they have the head-to-head. Um, I think, though, when you look at them, here, here's the thing about the Colts, and this, this is being a great win, and they're rolling right now. Uh, and interestingly enough, I actually watched the midseason hard knocks, and I think it's better uh, than the preseason hard knocks because you sit there and you watch the Colts actually preparing for games that matter, and you hear them talking about opponents in real time. Um, uh, you know, so it's, I, I think they are a team where keep the Buffalo win in perspective. It's the same Buffalo team that has been wildly all over the place that now in retrospect, when I look at, at them, they don't have as many impressive wins as I thought. They lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars nine to six. Josh Allen is playing extremely loose football. And yet they continue to pile on almost all of what they generate on offense, they're just leaning it all on Josh Allen right now. Um, they don't have a running game. It's like he's producing everything. They're not a balanced offense at all. Now, that said, Buffalo's a very, very good defense. So to see them get gouged the way that they were by Taylor, like that's that's a big eye-opener for me. But I try, I'm trying to really learn my lesson here this season and measure one week to yeah. the next and not just all of a sudden jump into Indianapolis because I've been like, how many teams this season – have I bought into only to have them turn around and, and show me that they're as, as, as you know, Mike, Mike Smith said, as vulnerable as anybody? Well, I may end up eating words after this week because we got Tennessee facing New England. And this is very much like all we can be is prisoners of the moment right now. We should just embrace right. that because it changes from week to week, right? So at this moment, I was saying to Michael earlier, I believe the best team in the AFC is New England. Not just because they won four in a row, not just because wait for it, Michael, they have the highest point differential at plus 123, but because right now they can be counted on to be the most consistent in terms of who they are from week to week, and they're right. beating up on the teams that they're supposed to beat up on. They got a running game, they got a really good defense, and they got a quarterback who all he does is complete passes. They're not flashy, but they're substantive and they're the most consistent right now. Whereas just about everybody else, save for Kansas City these last few weeks, everybody else has been up and down and all over the place. The Patriots are who they are, and they're rounding into form. So if I had to pick a team right now that looks like the best in the AFC, it's the Patriots. What about you, Charles? Um, as you said, as a prisoner of the moment, I feel like the Patriots are the big winner this past week because you know you just sit there and you kind of hey, we're just going to idle our way to the top, <laughs> to the top of, of the <laughs> AFC right now because everybody else is going sideways. Um, I, what I like about the Patriots, as you said, what I really like, they, they are running the football right now. They are very balanced. They are a very balanced offense. Um, Mac Jones is playing well, but it's not, like it's, it's not like Justin Herbert where it's like they are blowing it out with, with what they're asking him to do. He's playing very solid measured football you'll see a couple you know they'll open it up a couple plays a game where you know he'll throw a ball beyond 15 yards and you'll go wow you know that was a pretty nice pass but they're not leaning a ton on him they're leaning it on the running game and then I think defensively the one thing that we've seen from them that I think is really balanced out this season is you're seeing Belichick get back to doing what defensively 
going up against teams and saying, I'm going to take away your best thing, whatever you got going for you, I'm going to take that thing away, and then we're going to make you adjust. Now, in the best years, that's always what, what Belichick's been able to do defensively. He might change it up. He might show you different fronts. I mean, they might do different things schematically. There will be wrinkles, um, you know, and, and they will constantly change their stripes throughout the season. But the one thing that's never deviated – if Belichick can figure out how to take your best thing away, he always does that. And they're doing that against again this season. So, you know, I think that bodes well for them. And yeah, I mean, I think right now you're you're like, okay, they're playing pretty consistent. And and what you really like is they're getting better. Like as the season's gone on, you felt like they've gotten better and better and better every time you see them. Titans, you know Bills, what? Uh, Colts, it, Bills. So we'll see. The next four. Hey, I was gonna say Titans, I was, Bills, Colts, Bills. I'm just gonna say, we'll find <laughs> it's right out. there in front of I was of just them. gonna say that to Charles. <laughs> I was gonna right say there. that uh, their remaining their remaining six games. You got the Bills twice. You got the Colts. You got the Titans, and even the two easy games on the schedule. One of those so-called easy games, you lost to that team, Miami, oh. first game of yeah. the year, and that game is in yeah. Miami. So you lost a home game to the Dolphins, right? And, and they and look the like they're playing better. a little better. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Charles, are you are you thrown off at all? I know you talked about Mac Jones, and how they're not asking him to do too much, but it's been a long time. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's ever happened. A team led by a rookie, a true rookie, getting to the Super Bowl. Do you make a Belichick exception for Mac Jones? Or do you say, hey, it's a different day. We ask quarterbacks to do more now than we did 20 years ago, so I'm not really thrown off by it. I I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, look, let's be honest. Like it's um what I like about Mac Jones is that I will say this. It's not like he has ever he and it's been a long time since he has not been in a highly competitive pressurized position, even as a backup at Alabama. You know, there you hear all these stories about, you know, him jaw jacking with Saban during practices while he's leading the scout team and, you know, talking trash with guys and having all this confidence. You have to be very, very competitive at Alabama. So knowing his. Um, you know, his college experience was extremely competitive. And then knowing the level of success he had to have as a starter and the expectations that come with that. Let's not forget on any given day um, in, in college football, Alabama and the city of Tuscaloosa draws more than an NFL team. They just do. Okay. There's, they fill the stadium and there's like another 50,000 people outside of the stadium in Tuscaloosa. So he's used to that highly pressurized environment. I think what's different though, is when you get to the playoffs, we always talk about windows, throwing windows in the NFL and how, you know, a, a, a half a yard is now, that's open. That's open in the NFL. It's less open in the playoffs, okay? And I, I don't like any rookie, period. Any rookie we've seen come through the NFL, I don't like any of those guys once the playoffs starts because I think that the you see teams all of a sudden start pulling out their best stuff. The crowds are, are as ratcheted up as they can be. Now, here's one thing I will say. Any team to me that gets the number one seed in the AFC or NFC has an exponential um, edge this year over everybody else. Because number one, we've seen this is the season where you can lose pretty much to anybody. No matter who you are, you can lose to anybody. Um, We're talking about, you know, the Titans lost. We, We last week, we loved the Titans. Well, now they've lost to both the Jets and the Houston Texans. Okay. We've seen everybody else has bricked a game at some point. So play one less game in the playoffs. If you can gives you a huge um, edge over everybody else and then have people come through your place, especially if it's a difficult place to play, you know, as the, as the 
postseason moves on. Gillette is a difficult place to play. Lambeau is a difficult place to play. Arrowhead is a very difficult place to play. Um, SoFi, Los Angeles, not so difficult. Dallas, because of the size of the stadium, less difficult. You can get a lot of fans into AT&T because of the size of it as an opposing team. I, so I would say, look, if they can somehow pull off the number one seed and force people to come through Gillette, then all of a sudden maybe I feel a little bit different about that. But I still think you have to lean on that running game that they've found and, and defensively. It's not going to be a Mac Jones playoff run. We're going to lean on you some more, Charles, uh, as we usually do on Mondays after we take this quick break. I was thinking, though, man, everything is how you phrase it and how you say it. You know what the safe thing is for us to say right now? It's not who's the best team. It's like who's playing the best football because that makes yeah. it feel a little more narrow to this moment as opposed to some grand proclamation of how it will well, be I, seven, eight weeks from now. So let's just – we'll, st- we'll okay. do that maybe with the NFC on the other side. But go ahead and make Absolutely. this last point before just we go to break. Just real, real quick before we go to break, apply the lessons yeah. of 2020. Because in 2020, yeah. at this point in the season, we were like, we were kind of out on Tampa Bay. We're like, maybe, maybe not. Like, we didn't know how we felt yeah. about Tampa Bay. But then when, when it came December and January, who was playing the best football? It was Tampa. Just follow that lesson. It, we, sh- we should know it well by now. But as you, as you said advice. earlier, this might be one of the best seasons we've seen in recent memory. I remember you called that very early in the season, Charles. And all these, you know. I think it's 23 games decided with the game-winning score on the final play. That's the most we've seen since the merger. So you were on that early. This season is, is unlike any other, even though we should know. Not any given Sunday, but every given Sunday. All right, more with Charles Robinson coming up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is it a mixed message at all that you walk straight off without celebrating on the field after the game? Um... I mean, to, to our guys, no. To you guys, uh, maybe. It depends on how you want to take it. You're going to write your stories regardless. I mean, my guys know that all I care about is winning, but I'm going to be frustrated if, if I do stuff to um, make it harder on us. And, and I did yesterday, and that's just flat out where it was. But I'm never going to take winning for granted. That's something that's very hard to do in this league, um, and it's hadn't been a, a very common thing around here for a long time. So uh, I'm just frustrated with how I played, and that's that's how I've always been. They, they know I'm going to come back and attack this week, and that's how I've always been. Baker, what did you make of, of some of the booing there in the second half from the fans? Those are probably the same fans that won't be quiet while we're on offense and trying to operate, so don't really care. I'd be the first to tell you I played like so. It's, it's not about accountable, and I don't owe you guys any of that. I owe that to my teammates, and I talk to them, so that's what matters. Hmm. Uh, Charles, I know you've written quite extensively about this uh, decision that the Browns have about whether to commit to Baker Mayfield long term. Now, in fairness, like a lot of players, no excuses, uh, he is playing beat up. Um, nonetheless, he hasn't played very well. Didn't play well yesterday, obviously got booed, and his wife got in on the act. Pulling a little Odell Beckham Sr., Kelly Stafford type deal by, by reposting um, uh, criticism from his uh, from a, a fan. She often fo- reposts a lot of fan stuff, so it's it's 
consistent with what she's always done, except this one had a line that said the rest of the team should take its cues uh, from Baker when it comes to getting tougher. So that was problematic. Anyway, uh, the bigger issue in the big picture for Baker Mayfield. How do you see it in terms of the Browns level of uh, confidence in him when it comes to contract time? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any confidence in the extension right now. I don't think there can be because there's, there's, it's, it, you don't know what, what you're looking at now. You just don't know. I mean, it's, I will say that, yeah, injuries have definitely clouded that decision, but injuries are often part of the decision. And when I've written about it previously, I, I always brought up uh, Marcus Mariota and the Titans because I know people in that organization. I know what it was like to go through them having a lot of confidence in Marcus Mariota, really wanting him to turn the corner, but then also going into that fifth-year um, option of his rookie contract saying, like, this is kind of it. We have, to, we have to see something here. And they went out and got Ryan Tannehill as, as a, you know, a, a piece of insurance, you know, someone who they knew had some talent, didn't know if he just needed a fresh start, didn't know if it was an Adam Gase issue for him, but said, we got to bring in someone in here to have an alternative to Marcus Mariota in case the injuries don't clear up and he doesn't turn the corner. And that didn't happen. So they had the Tannehill option. I think that's where the Browns are. They have to sit here and go. I, I know internally there is still belief in Baker Mayfield. I know internally they are dying for him to light the world on fire and make their jobs easy. They want to do an extension, but they want the data to all be going in the right direction. Unfortunately, he's injured right now. They know they're dealing with that. They know he's dealing with that. I think they appreciate the fact that he's going out there. Um, but it doesn't change reality. And the way that he is playing, um, whether it's injury-related or not, and, and I think it – let me put it to you this way. I think it would be a mistake to look at the way he's playing and say it's all injuries. It is not, mm -hmm. okay? Because there are times where he's he's making superb decisions and he's he's throwing balls where he's putting them in great spots. Then there are other times where he's sailing balls, okay, and and frankly is not seeing, say, an underneath defender and throwing an interception. You can't sit there and go, well, the bad plays are just the injuries, but the good plays, that's always him overcoming injuries and making good plays. No, you have to you have to take it for what it is. It is a complete picture. And it is confusing and it's hard to have a franchise sit there and go, well, this is a $30 million quarterback or $35 million quarterback or a $40 million quarterback. Um, you just don't know that if you're the Cleveland Browns. And I think that is going to have to, the team is going to, I've written this before, the team's going to have to go into the offseason and sit there and go, what are all of the potential options on the table? And we have to explore every one of these. Is it a, hey, maybe Russell Wilson's on his way out in Seattle? Maybe you pick up the phone and just go, hey, is the guy available or not? Um, is it a, hey, would, would Deshaun Watson consider ever in, in our wildest, you know, scenario, things not, you know, the off-field things being clarified, whatever's going to happen there with the civil suits, whatever's going to happen there with the, with the, the grand jury investigation, um, would he, if that got to a place where we were comfortable with it, would he ever consider playing in Cleveland? And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers, another guy, what's going to happen there? So there's, I think you got to think about the top tier options. You got to go, there's some damaged goods, kind of mid-level options that we would consider. Um, and, and what do we do with that moving forward? One thing though, I will say here for the Browns and Baker, Baker Mayfield. And I actually think this is a, probably a good thing for Baker. If he wants to continue to try and fight it out in Cleveland, you know, um, 
look at Taysom Hill, okay, with the with the Saints, okay. <laughs> Taysom Hill. I mean, I, I just it, it, I think we we are sitting there and we're going. The the Saints are still focused on this guy potentially moving forward. That to me is a signal that when you look outward at, at what the quarterback market could be, I think the Saints. It's because they're going. There could be a lot of competition for any available quarterback options coming this offseason. There aren't a great deal of, of options in the draft. How, how are you going to address this? You kind of try to address it with what you know, and that could lead the Browns to a place where they're like, hey, we're we just going to have to roll the dice with this in a fifth year and hope that finally everything comes together. Charles, I, I need you to help me out on the Arizona Cardinals. I, I, I think I got some mental block. I just can't flat out say the Arizona Cardinals are the best team in football, period. They've proven so much. What is it? I mean, do you do you just look at the Cardinals and say great team or do you have reservations as well? I think that it's it's you're probably having the same problems I had a few games ago, which was I bought into the team last year. Um, midway through the season. I thought Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. I thought Cliff Kingsbury was the uh, candidate for coach of the year. And then everything fell apart. Um, I think what's different now with this team is, I think defensively they're better, number one. I think they have a number of difference, ma difference makers on defense that matters. Um, I think that offensively what's interesting is they added, you know, like an A.J. Green. I wasn't really wowed by that, but he's added something to the mix there. They went out and guess what? Probably made the best deadline move in the NFL when they got Zach Ertz. And, and what has Zach Ertz done? He's come in and made a difference for them consistently. And oh, by the way, Kyler Murray just went down and your backup quarterback won two road division games in the last three. Okay? In the last three games, which should have been the window when Dallas is going to make its move for the number one seed in the NFC, when Green Bay is going to make its move for the number one seed in the NFC, all the Cardinals did was pick up a game on both of those teams with Colt McCoy playing quarterback and throwing for what? 320 plus yards against the Seattle Seahawks. I don't, I don't know. Explain, explain it to me. I think they are a good team. I, I think it's hard to look at them and, and not say you feel pretty good about them. And also what you're held back by is what we're all held back by this season. The second you open your arms and go, I am accepting of this team potentially being the best in the NFC is is when they go off a cliff. Okay, that's the Thelma Louise moment where you're about to roll the credits and they're driving the Cadillac off the cliff. I don't know how to, they, at this point, it to me, it doesn't make much sense to be skeptical about them because their losses can be, they got two and they can be explained. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I agree. There's no shame in either of their losses. And for them to win, albeit at a struggling Seattle team, for them to win with Colt McCoy the way they did yesterday after winning with him two weeks ago, he got hurt against Carolina. You got you got to give it up, even if it's by default, even if it's reluctantly, you got to give it up for them as the best team in the league. The worst team in the league found a way to lose at, my, at Charles. I haven't heard going back to that Browns game. Uh, they barely beat the Lions. I have not heard this in all my years of covering and following the NFL. I know we talking a lot this year about officials coming down on taunting. This is different. So apparently between the third and fourth quarters of the 13-10 loss yesterday. I know, I know what you're going to talk about. Jonah Jackson got a personal foul for unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct, but talking about Jadevian Clowney's mama? Mom. 
<laughs> yeah, like, I, I mean, like that was it? Was it a straight up like like was it when they was he playing dozens or was it like a that's what she said type yeah. joke? Like I'm I'm trying to figure out what was it where the official said, oh that's out of line. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? right. All the things that are said, I didn't realize Mamas was in the rule book because that yeah, feels a little know. subjective, does it not? Pretty Help sure that's not. One. Yeah, pretty sure that's not. <laughs> pretty sure that's not in the rule book. Um, I've never, ever, ever heard that a taunt. I mean, I, here's the thing. I need. I need a lot of context for this. I need to know exactly Same. like what went down. Right. What he was said. It, was it funny? Outlet. I mean, well, like, you know I, what I, mean? I, 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 have, I have never heard of an official ever, um, ever flagging someone for. Yeah, like Stay you out said, the way. They, they, get out it, of the way. They're in the way uh, now with Tony. It, it really is. It, it, it's, or was it? Or was less. it not a your mama thing? Was it? Was it a MF? And he thought it was something because we heard it from Dan Campbell. It's like I don't know something that's about somebody's mother. Maybe that's not what got flagged. I don't, right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and again, <laughs> let's let's be honest. We're, we we could be playing a game of telephone here, okay? Where it gets yeah, we to, could. It gets, we could. It gets we to we the could. podium, and all of a sudden, it's a your mama joke. And no, right. it was like a completely different, you know, <laughs> scenario what un- unfolded on the field. Um, no, I, I, I was, I, I don't know. I was completely flabbergasted by that. But I've it also just, seen. It just took me. I mean, look, yeah. listen. We we reached our. We reached literally the 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 depths when Tony Carrenti pivoted himself in the way of a player, like like purposely put himself in the path of a player and let the player yeah. hit him, and then hit through Jeff. the. Through the, through, through the flag and held his hand in the air like he was MJ hitting the game winner over the Utah Jazz in the final, just to appreciate it as long as possible. I was like, "That's it! Like we, it can't get worse than a than literally an official taunting a player while he's flagging right. him for taunting an opponent." I'm like, "That's it! That's it! That's the, I that's just, the height Charles, of it." Charles, you're 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 a great investigative reporter. I just need you to get to the bottom of what was said because I want to know if it was funny or not. Like it took me down memory lane. Some of them, your mama jokes can be <laughs> funny. Not when it was not your mama, but if it was really that bad, right. Jadavian and Clowney would have gone uh, Isaiah Stewart on him for all we know. Anyway, man. Mrs. Robinson raised a great kid. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for the insight, brother. <laughs> we'll talk to you yeah, next yeah, week. Have a happy yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, it, gentlemen. That, that have was, a, have a, hey, thank you, Charles. Have, have that was a never part of playground trash talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, now I just want to know so I can use it. Because I'm I like, want to know. Flag, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm going to do my best to try and bring that to the table next week. All right. I'll thank you. Find out, find out what he said. All right. Appreciate it, guys. All right. How you feeling? Both of our boys wrapped up in the streets. I feel like failure as a parent. What we're not going to do is have a pity party while we still got time to save Terry. Charles, Terry is selling drugs. He's also going to school every day and taking care of his son, which means all hope's not lost. We just need to get him away from Demetrius. That boy's been attached to his brother's hip since he came into this world. What if we use the money the hospital's offering to send Terry to a school down south somewhere? He ain't gonna do nothing but get on the bus and come right back. Look, I know it sounds like a long shot, but I truly believe we can save Terry if we act fast. But what about Demetrius? Do you really believe we have a chance at Demetrius? Lucille, we gotta do what we gotta do to save this family.
Hey, Mike, that's a scene from BMF. Great, uh, great series and a terrific actor who is one of the most versatile actors out there. Uh, his name is Russell Hornsby. And I got to tell you, uh, Mike, I, I brought this up to you earlier today and you didn't remember it. So I'm wondering if Russell remembers it. The last time we saw we saw him back in the day, we were on Martha's Vineyard walking down Circuit Ave. You remember that? And Mike, you had the you had the stroller. So we I was did. probably That's distracted. Right. I think I was distracted. That's what it was, yes. right? See, I'm like, wait you a did. second. Yeah, I do remember that. Blur, Russ. It's all a blur, hey, man. Russell. It's just good to see you again. Russell, Mike remembers everything. He remembers everything. I said it to him earlier today. I said, I said, remember we saw him on the venue? He said, we saw him on the venue. I was like, there's no way we met him. There's no way. I said, it must have been. I said, how? I said, Savannah was born in 06. I said, it must have been 06 because Savannah was in the stroller. So you brought that up. Hey, man. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Likewise. Good to see you, brothers, man. Thank you for having me. No problem. Really? Let's start right there. Let's start with BMF because. I mean, you. I, I saw an interview, and I really want you to, uh, to elaborate on this because I couldn't agree with you more. In the interview, you talked about BMF, and you said people really want to see something real. They want realness. Uh, they want authenticity. Is that what your focus was going into the series, or did you say, "Hey, once you started working a couple of uh, going through a couple of scripts, you're saying, hey, this is what this, this is what it needs.'" In other words, did you have it beforehand, or were you in the moment when you said? Hey, we need to get a little deeper, a little more real with this thing. Um, you know, I, I had it beforehand. I mean, the obvious thing is this is all based on a true story. So the, the, the Flinnery family, Meech and Terry, they are real people. Uh, Charles Flinnery, who was with the ancestors now, is no longer with us, is was real. And Lucille Flinnery uh, is real. And, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to Miss Lucille about heard her husband about their relationship uh, with their kids and how they raised them and what it was like for them uh, in Detroit. And, you know, the, the saying goes, you know, all we want to look at and deal with as, as black folks is uh, give everybody, give them something they can feel. And the best way to do that is to be, uh, is to be authentic, is to tell the truth. Um, because, you know, the saying goes, you can't lie in life and tell the truth on stage. And, and, and so, you know, it's my job as the actor, as the vessel, to really reach back um, to a place and ask myself, you know, what was Charles going through? What was he dealing with? And, you know, being a devotee of August Wilson, uh, I have a, a deep-seated passion and understanding for, um, for our ancestors, basically, you know, for, for those who came before us. Um, you know, I, I believe that there's a saying that... Um, there was a time when boats were made of wood and men were made of steel. And I believe men like Charles, who, who worked every day, worked with their hands, uh, you know, tired, working two and three jobs, these were men that were made of steel. And, you know, they believed in certain things. Uh, they believed in hard work. They believed in, you know, truth. They were God-fearing. And they believed in family. And that's the kind of man he was. And that's the, the kind of, um, you know, man I wanted to portray and put forward on the screen so that you we, so that we create this, this sort of origin story for, for people to watch and follow and know that these kids did come from a good family. They were loved. They did go to church. They, are, they were God-fearing. And it's really more of 
what society, where we were Reaganomics at the time in the 80s and where we were coming back, you know, uh, of oil embargo in the 70s and how, you know, we were talking about manufacturing leaving our country, things going overseas and how, you know, these Midwestern cities became the Rust Belt. And, and so we're looking at a, uh, a, a country, uh, a state and a community that let these, these kids down, that let the populace, the society down. So, and that's all we're reflecting in Black Mafia Family. You, you reference Fences, uh, you reference August Wilson, and you obviously brought to mind your work in Fences uh, as Lions, uh, but even in, you know, The Hate You Give, uh, Seven Seconds, now uh, Black Mafia Family, it, it, and you just spoke to it, uh, that your guiding star, if you will, seems to be portraying um, a, a three-dimensional look, an authentic, uh, humanizing look at black men and black fathers. Like, when did that become a calling for you, a mission for you? You really, you really, there's this theme in everything I read and see from you. There's a theme about honoring the men that came before you and the men that molded and influenced you and giving society a, a, a multidimensional look uh, at black men. When did that become your guiding star? And also, how, how, how challenging is that uh, when it comes to executing that philosophy uh, on camera, given some of the, the, the challenges of, of Hollywood? Um, you know, that, I think that was always in me. I'm, you know, I'm born and raised in Oakland, California. And, uh, you know, I like to think that uh, you, you walk in the, uh, and live in the spirit of the Panther. And, you know, there's all these, I was raised, I mean, I came from a single parent family, but I was raised by the community. I was raised by black men. And so, again, this was a time where, you know, you're talking about, you know, the Oaklands, the Detroits, the Chicago's, New York's, Boston's, where black folks were, were getting their asses kicked, pardon me. And, and so you saw men having to live life a certain way, conduct themselves a certain way. And I was drawn to that, you know, and, and so for me, it's an honoring of them, but also the men who helped raise me in the acting and theater community, the black men. And these were men of another time. You know, they didn't, a lot of them didn't have the opportunity to go to theater school. They had to sort of learn it, you know, by doing plays, you know, and working second jobs. And some were vet, veterans of the military and whatnot. And so I really had an opportunity to sit down and absorb a lot of their life, a lot of their struggle. And so for me, it's an honoring of both where I came from, and it's also an honoring of the men, um, the actors who came before me, who are basically unsung. And, and so, you know, people don't know their names, they didn't see a lot of their work, but I did. And their work had a profound effect on me because it was truth telling. And I think that's important that we were looking for the saying goes, there's not, there's no such thing as right or wrong. There was only truth. And so when you're working with, with brothers and sisters who have no choice, but to tell the truth that, that, that for me, that really engaged me and, uh, and said, I have to take this mantle forward and, and take the baton and, and, uh, and do my part. And I think I've done that. And I think, and again, I think that, for me, you, you can't deny, we can't deny talent and you can't deny truth. So I had an opportunity when I went to school to hone my skill, to develop a talent. And then in developing that talent, what happens is you develop a level of consciousness and conscientiousness that, that you have to sort of, that you have to put with the talent, right? So that it's incumbent upon me now to 
to sort of, as I put these things together, be conscious and conscientious about the parts that I take. Be conscious about how I approach certain roles. Um, you know, certain roles you take, you might not always care for it, but you have to find a portal in that is, um, that is human and that is steeped in truth. Now, you, you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> Russell, that you're a devotee of August Wilson. You know, I went to college in Pittsburgh, and so mm-hmm. I was able to see some of the spaces and some of the places that he talked about. He talked about the Hill District. That's where I used to get, when I had hair, that's where I used to get my hair cut. I mean, yeah. just like a lot of these people sounded so familiar to me. I, I felt like he brought a poetry, and not a forced poetry, to ordinary circumstances and ordinary people. Uh, that's just one of the very surface things that I got of August, out of August Wilson. There's so many layers mm-hmm. to him. What made you a devotee of, of August Wilson and what, what still speaks to you to this day? I know there are many things, and that, that's a tough question, but what, what speaks no, to no. you? Absolutely. You know, again, as I said, uh, when, I, when I came out of high school, you know, what, you know, what they do, I mean, not high school, but when I came out of college, you know, what, what happens in theater schools is that they break you down to build you up. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, it's much like, you know, um, you know, when athletes, when you, you know, when you're working out, you have to take, tear the body down and build it back up so you can build it up stronger. Well, oftentimes what happens when you go to, you, you lose part of yourself. You lose part of your essence. You lose those things that sort of make you great as they're teaching you about, you know, Shakespeare and, and Ibsen and all the classics, if you will. And I'll never forget, I came out, you know, having that, that uh, inauthentic black theatrical theater voice, you know what I mean? A la James <laughs> something like that, you know? And um, I was auditioning for New York Undercover. And so I walk in for New York Undercover, I'm in audition for New York Undercover, and I'm in there, yes, halt, you know, you, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm ghetto man number three. And uh, so they said, I, I did my audition, and they said, uh, you know, this is uh, for a brother, he's a drug dealer. I was like, yes. And they said, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's uptown, you know, New York, up in, up in the Bronx. I was like, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know what this is for, right? Right. But so what happened, though, so, so to answer your question directly, Michael, is that when I got introduced to August, I was, re, I was intro, reintroduced to a different level, different sensibility of blackness and, and, a, and a soulfulness and an essence. And it was through the material and also through the actors that I was working with, I was able to sort of find my rhythm again, get that brother who came from Oakland, who grew up listening to hip hop, all that kind of stuff. And I was able to infuse it into the work. And so from there, August just, his, his, the words, his rhythms, his poetry just spoke to me. They just constantly sang to me. And I, and I began to understand who I am a little bit better and where I come from and, and what it means to tell our truth. And, and August really um, chronicled that. And I wanted to be uh, a vessel of his to, um, you know, just to help people understand that we got a lot with us. And it's not just that, you know, we can sing and dance and, and entertain you, but we are thinking people, we are feeling people. And I think it's real, and I think it's important first 
for us as black people to understand that and know that for real. And then we put it out to the uh, communities at large and say, hey, you may have gotten this wrong again. And so this deserves a, a, a deeper examination about who you think we are. Let me tell you, no, no, who we actually are. I think that's what August did. That actually leads me into a couple of uh, sports-related questions I got for you, Russell. Um, so you are set to play Don King in uh, Hulu's Iron Mike coming up. And the first thing I thought of was, well, it was, it was a Don King-like character in Creed 2. A little mm -hmm. bit, you know, not as not as bombastic, but but similar. Um, mm -hmm. But it, I know you, you've talked a lot in this interview and other interviews about generally arriving at truth and, and, and humanizing people. I wonder what your process has been like and do you think it's going to be like when it comes to trying to humanize a very complicated and mysterious figure in mm -hmm. Don King? We don't know a whole lot about his origin story in, in the mainstream. So how, how's that process for you taking on that role of uh, a Don King for Iron Mike? Well, you know, you, you have to look at, again, you know, Don is... Um, Born and raised in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and you know he, you know you found, you know he was a numbers runner. He went to prison for four years for for killing a per, for killing a man. And what I looked, what I looked at, I did when I, I read, I read a biography, and um, you you, ha you I had to ask myself, a man who came from Cleveland, numbers runner, who looked up and and found him at a point where he could now buy in. To America, you know, they say you know people sell out, but some people sell in or buy in, and he had to he had to create a narrative for himself yeah, that said, "I am, I can because because he says only in America, and so only in America to this point is a a black man can be as powerful, a black man can can be as corrupt as everybody else in America, as anybody white." And that's him buying into it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, yeah. and so right. what I had to look at is, and truly examine is, he, but he's still black. And so I believe the, the humanity in him had to, he had to push a lot of that humanity down here to, to the, you know, you know, just suppress it in order to do a lot of these dastardly deeds that we hear. And I believe that he convinced himself that I am not gonna let America take advantage of me the way they have my other sisters and brethren. I'm going to be part, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play into what America is and what it has done and what it really represents. It reps power, corruption, and all of those things. So I'm gonna be a part of that. Whether it be a part of the solution ones to say or a part of the problem, but I'm gonna be an American. And but I do believe that you have to suppress a lot of your pain as a black man, a lot of the pain that, that has happened to you in this country coming up. What was happening to him when he was young, when he was growing up and, you know, as I said, in the Midwest of Cleveland, all the racism and everything that he had to deal with. And you're going to say what you I think you convince yourself is to say, not me anymore. I'm not going to be the one. And so the Yo, thing uh, is, also, so, so his point is, if a, if a white man can take money away from you, so can a black man. If a white man can rob you, so can a black man. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, you know, in his, in his thought process. So, and that's only in America. <laughs> I like, I, that, thank, thank you for the little preview there. That was good. Thank you for the little preview. That's great. That's Listen, great. 
want to uh, want to take it back a bit, man, because uh, you know the, the bro- a lot of broader audience or a lot of mainstream audience, if you will, first got introduced to you, to you uh, shit, damn near twenty years ago now on Playmakers. Yeah, and uh, I, I I wonder if I look, I'll phrase it to you like this: I wonder if you watch some of what has what happens in professional sports, but specifically in the NFL in professional football. And as controversial controversial as Playmakers was in the early 2000s, look at what's happening in reality right now and be like, man, we might have undersold the, the real. We might not have been as, as provocative as we needed to be, given all the stuff that we know when it comes to out of sausages being made. You ever watch the NFL and the headlines now and be like, man, this is stranger than fiction. Absolutely. And, and and the thing is, you know, nobody was ready to let the cat out the bag. They, you know, I think, you know, a lot of these professional organizations, you know, they really believe that they can for so long suppress the truths for so long um, control the narrative. And I think we were still at the tail end of the time where they were able to control the narrative. They were able to suppress the truth and playmakers was taking the lid off of the truth and letting it out. And, you know, it, it, it didn't last much longer. And so now because of social media, um, because of mainstream media, what have you, you can no longer suppress the truth. You can no longer control the narrative. And that, I think that's what we're finding. And also, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of strange stuff happening out here in the sports world, <laughs> you know, for good and for bad. Well, I mean, it's funny that I remember I was a huge fan of the show. It was amazing that the NFL, we knew it. The NFL just kind of swooped in. We're like, no, we don't want that. <laughs> now, fast now, fast forward uh, about what? Uh, that was like 0203, somewhere around there? Yeah. If I may, uh, if I may let, interject real quick. we I, yeah. I ran into Stephen A. Um, back in the day on um, right in front of the, in Times Square, right in front of the, the ABC uh, Good Morning America set right there. And he said, hey, brother, he said, I love you on Playmakers. He said, you know, they ain't going to keep you on the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, listen, they didn't. But, you know, you can try to you can try to suppress it. But eventually the truth does come out. Bring this full circle. The truth comes out. So <laughs> 2000, 2017, I believe it was with Kaepernick. And yeah. so you're a 49ers fan. What, what yeah. was your thought? Uh, at the time, if you go back to Colin Kaepernick first sitting down, then taking the knee, and that becoming a story for a team that wasn't very good, but he was the story. Uh, how did you process uh, that at, at the time as a black man in America and as uh, a 49ers fan? You know, I, I mean, as a black man, I was very, uh, I was proud of Kaepernick for what he did, for the stance that he took. Um, you know, and, and, and the reality of it is, is that for us being black in America, when you when you make stances like that or you make certain comments that are controversial, you have, you realize before and in the moment that uh, one will have to suffer certain consequences. And I think, you know, I, I, I believe that Kaepernick was aware of that and he took it on the chin. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And it, it's, it wasn't cool. But we all know that there is a double standard when it comes to, to being black. There is a double standard when it comes to uh, the political uh, black athlete. And, you know, we know that from, you know, uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos and on and on. And so I just I just felt like he showed a great deal of courage, you know, in that moment. And, you know, not for not uh, backing down and for just 
for standing his ground, basically. Well, that's a that's a great point and a, and a great way to, to let you go because you know, Russell, through all your work, you've you've embodied that same principle: courage, not backing down, being true and authentic to who you are, and representing us well, man. Congratulations! And that's a big deal. It picked up season two for BMF pretty quickly. That, that, that's, that's a big deal, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's real. You got so many other things in the works. An incredible body of work. So we appreciate how you represent it, man. And and look forward to seeing you again on a venue. Michael ain't remember because <laughs> he was pushing the stroller. But I'm looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> See, at the time, wait, at the time, Michael ain't had no kids to distract him. He had his right. like right after that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now I got I got little ones now. Mine are six and four. And I'm getting like I'm like ah. <laughs> oh, congratulations, man! See, Thank you. 15, yeah, right. 13, and nine. Michael on the cusp of having teenagers. Yeah, man. They, they talk yeah. back. They get to talking back. Right. They do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm old, I got a little old school in me, so. <laughs> and you're getting practice Guilty. on screen. Yeah, you get a lot of practice. <laughs> Me too. We appreciate you, brother. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Listen, I was I was ready. You know I was ready. Even though you have come around, you know I was ready to come in here and talk big cash shit about Cam Newton and his performance and his actual homecoming. But nonetheless, Michael, we have spent a lot of time talking about the top, you know, as we tend to do. Yeah. And the Cardinals right. as the best team in the NFC, even by default. But man, you look at the bottom of the playoff picture for the NFC after Los Angeles. And you got Minnesota's five and five now. You got the Saints five and five now. You got the Niners five and five now. Okay, finding themselves. Philadelphia. Remember Keep when going. Philadelphia didn't run the ball? Yeah. Now they run it better yep. than anybody yep. right now. Okay. Keep uh, going. Carolina's at five and six. And okay, if you want, and throw in the football team at four and but six. I'm, so I'm telling mean, you. That, I'm that, telling that you. In the hunt section is is interesting. Yeah. I, like first of all, props to Cam Newton. And props to the Carolina Panthers. I know they didn't win this game. They won last week, a surprising win. And I guess you could say this is a, based on what you saw last week, this would qualify as a surprising loss. You got the football team at home. 
coming off a, a win over Arizona. I know I know the game was in Arizona. No Kyler Murray. They had some issues, but they put it on them. They put it on Arizona pretty good. You think they come home and beat a, a, a team that is not very good. You would think uh, but Cam Newton looks like he didn't miss a step. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far to say he looks better now than he has in about a year. Like he, he got off to a good start last year. Last year in New England got off to a good start uh, and a loss to Seattle. He looked very good. Uh, they stopped him on the final play of the game, a running play. He threw for like over 300 yards in that game. Got COVID. They lose to Kansas City. He comes back, and I never thought he looked good after that. And that was yeah. that was early in the season. That was like September or October. Cam Newton looks he looks fast now. He looks strong. He's throwing uh, a good football. So I don't know what it means for Carolina five and six. They got a long way to go to play in a tough division, but props to Cam Newton. But I want to talk about the football team. I'm looking at their schedule right now. And I see a lot of winnable games for a team that's four and six. That is so and we know dangerous. last year. That is so I, I know, dangerous. But I know. What have we, I, what have we been talking saying. about all show? Okay, but okay, I know. Fine, go ahead. I know. <laughs> oh, but but they are no longer see they're in a they're in the in between position. I say winnable games, but they are no longer that team that you can look at and say, "Oh, we got them." So they are not somebody else's W. Um, but then they can also now they can turn around and look at other teams and say, "Hey, we may be looking up slightly." But it's not like we're looking way up there like we can't compete with these teams last two weeks uh, knocking off Carolina and knocking off Tampa Bay. It's pretty good, but they got to see the struggling Seahawks at the crib. They got the Raiders who were in free fall. They got Washington. They got uh, the Cowboys at home on the road against Philadelphia. Then they go to Dallas. So they got Dallas twice in the next four weeks. And they end with the Giants. I'm telling you, last year I don't know. This I, team I, I, I don't division. know why you're doing that. Honestly, I don't, it's almost like we just I, had an entire show, and you didn't pay attention to I anything know. you said, let alone I, what I said. Yeah, you what got. I'm saying to you fine. is what I'm saying to okay. you is the defending NFC East champion Washington football team may not be ready to abdicate the throne. They may They're not playing, be ready just to give it up. They're playing good enough football for you to pay attention. Okay, pay attention to Minnesota, who every game seems to come down to the last snap. Mention San Francisco getting right with Debo Samuel playing running back. As we go to break, right church, wrong pew in that division. The team you should be paying attention to, take that off the screen. The team you should be paying attention to no, no, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Because what's funny, I'll tell you this real quick, and I mean it because the music's playing. What's funny is yeah. when I was preparing for Fletcher Cox, when I was prepping for Fletcher Cox, I yeah, was yeah. going to ask him about how everything being in front of them in this division because I want you to hear this. Not only did they just uh, run for 252 yards, the Eagles against the Saints who had the number one rushing defense. The Eagles became the first team since the 1978 Patriots to run for at least 175 yards in four consecutive games without a hundred yard rusher in any of them. Now I know Jordan Howard's banked up banged up, but the way Jalen Hurts is playing right now. Once upon a time, they didn't run the football. Now they're running it down people's throats. Watch out for Philadelphia. We got to take a break. We got one more story to cover on the other side. Man, those 78 Patriots, they could tote it. Go look that team up, man. They had a bunch of dudes running the ball. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. 
the longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, so Sham says LeBron uh, tried to track down Isaiah Stewart's number uh, to apologize. I don't think Isaiah Stewart uh, would have been trying to hear it. He probably would have been like, hey, where you want to meet me at? And for all the people especially the announcers or anybody that thinks that Isaiah Stewart was overreacting. Just ask yourself how you would react if somebody crushed your face the way LeBron did with a closed fist. He probably will be, but I hope Isaiah Stewart isn't suspended. And if he is, then LeBron should be suspended too. But I got got a feeling that Isaiah... I got a feeling that Isaiah Stewart is going to get the tougher penalty than LeBron, even though his reaction, or some would call it overreaction, is entirely justified. They both should be suspended. But how can you say that dude? I'm good. I'm good. I tried to do a little fake out. He was like, "All right, I'm cool." Then everybody kind of like relaxed their grip on him. Yeah. Then he started running after people again. He did overreact. He did overreact. No, no, nobody wants to be punched in the face, hit in the face. But you can't act that's like why that, I, man. That's they, that's they both. Okay. They both need suspension. I, hey, no. Well, they both. If, if, if Stewart does, LeBron deserves it. But I'm not going to tell a man who got his face caved in, ble- dripping blood, that he overreacted. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.